king of the Middlelands, Noddy Holder, once said so eloquently. It's Christmas! There you go, the sounds of any traditional British Christmas. <laughs> a couple of, one too many eggnogs in there, eh? Yeah. But I like to think it's a public service, you know, if anyone's listening from overseas and thinking, one day I'd like to go to England and spend a, spend a traditional Christmas day with a, you know, with a normal British family. Could have saved them a fortune there. Yeah. So, I mean, as chaotic as that was, I bet it's probably not far off at your house, is it, with the kids and everything? Uh, yes, and did we have that other rabbit when you came down? No, you said that you just had the one, but it was a bit lonely and was following one of the cats around, or the cat was following it oh, around. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Peter Pan, he's older than Rose, so he's like, he's over six, and they their lifespan's about eight. So, you know, Karen was saying to me, you need to get him some company, especially over the dark hours of winter. Yeah. I was saying, well, you know, he, he might only live till eight. So his last year of solitude, you know, like in a care home staring out you're, the window. You're entering the infinite rabbit project where you get a rabbit, it lives for the last two years of one's life, and then a few years later you're doing the same again and it just goes on and on. Infinite rabbit project, great band name there, isn't it? <laughs> They're, so uh, they're supporting climb chowder. So I went on to Gumtree and went over to a house in Whittington to pick up a rabbit because the, the couple there had got two rabbits from pets at home, adopted two, and they were told that they were two males, but they weren't. They were male and female. They had lots of bunnies ah. and they were just overrun with rabbits. So we took the sort of the lady rabbit off their hands, but they had loads of pets like really nice couple but they were a bit overrun with animals you know bearded dragons guinea pigs and as i was sort of buying this rabbit they said oh these rabbits have been a pain oh and they had they had a chipmunk they had a chipmunk that had escaped and they'd have to set up like a baby monitors and a camera to try and find it and it kept they kept seeing it just to, it's like go they go 100 miles an hour so they just kept yeah. seeing these flashes yeah but the best thing they he said was like, oh, we've got this African grey parrot. He said, and it, all it does is mimic the kids. He says, so when I take the blanket off its cage, it just goes, no, and then does this. <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously the only two sounds that the kids make around the house. Yeah. But, yeah, we came back with a, rab- a rabbit for Peter Pan that Rose named Eliza in the car. Oh. So. It's, so you have to keep them apart for a couple of weeks. They have to get used to each other. So I've had to separate the hutch out, and they get used to each other's smell and sounds until you can finally sort of introduce them to each other. Have P- uh, Peter's amorous days behind him, or has he been done? He's been done, but it's not stopped him trying. Oh, poor Eliza. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's gone from one one madhouse to to now being you know sexually sort of assaulted by a, a, an elderly male rabbit. <laughs> At least she'll be warm. It's like being at your granddad's at Christmas. 
also wanted to thank you for inviting me down a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for all the, like, you were like a modern day Santa, an early Santa coming down with all these mystical, lovely treats. Well, I, I hadn't know. been down before, so I thought I'd bring a couple of bottles down. Yeah, the, the sherry and the, the bread. Well, we really we, we had the bread the next day with some soup. It was really nice. Ah, good. Karen had some as well, yeah. Really nice. There, so yeah, it was fun, and got down, and we went to the pub, and we came back and sat in the room where Ben's now uh, broadcasting from, which is his big um, summer house shed type thing at the very bottom of his garden, which he promptly locked me in overnight. <laughs> yeah. I get into a routine of just leaving and locking the door, so... The thing that tickled me was you were very clear. You said, now, after I've gone, after I've left, make sure you put the, the latch across on the door. Yeah. You're very, very clear about it because you said, otherwise you let the heat out and you'll get cold. So make sure you lock the door after me. Ben walks through the door and just immediately locks it behind him like there's nobody in there. <laughs> yeah, and I did say, any trouble, just text me. I'll be. I'll wake up. <laughs> and I saw it at at eight o'clock the next morning seven yeah. o'clock the next morning after i'd um been pissing into empty guinness cans for eight hours nice it's probably worth a mention that i said to you we'll just go up to the local pub as well it'll be it'll be quiet enough don't worry <laughs> open the doors and it's the longest loudest drunkest wake you've ever been to in yeah there was a wake on wasn't there what was it yeah. called the pub we should give them a shout out really oh the shire oak the shire oak they were very accommodating yeah. weren't they they came through off they did a thing that I've not seen since the 90s where if there's a wake on or a party or something and there's loads of food left, they come through and they say to everyone, you know, go and get yourself a plate because it's only going to go to waste. Well, yeah, which I did, yeah. which was which was fine. But, you know, I just happened to be all dressed in black because I had black jeans on and a black coat and a black woolly hat. Yeah. And uh, as I was silently picking up food off that sort of pool table where all the buffet food, I think the deceased immediate family was sitting just opposite me thinking, who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> is he from the funeral home? <laughs> He likes tuna sandwiches, doesn't he? Yeah, but no, it was good. It was very friendly. Every time I went out for a smoke, I came in through a different door. It seemed to be just constantly shifting doors and corridors. Yeah. But anyway, back on to to Christmas. What what sort of time do you you find yourself getting up? Rose Rose gets up at about seven normally, doesn't she? At seven, yeah, because that's what time she gets up for school during the week. What what time at Christmas? I used to get up about three. Uh, it'd be the same on Christmas Day. She's, you know, she's got a clock in her room, and she knows that she can't, she can't really get up before seven because she just gets sent back to bed. So it'd be the same. Not, oh, not, that's pretty good. Do you do all the books fizz in the morning, or do you, are you straight on the um, homebrew or whatever? It's a strange one, isn't it, Christmas Day? Because it gives you that free, free reign to drink anything and everything as early as you possibly can. Oh, yeah. Like, I find that there's been a lot of Christmas days where I've never actually felt really drunk because I've just sort of been on top up all day. Yeah. But then you think, I've been drinking slow gin, chocolate liqueur, <laughs> desperados, you know what I mean? And you think back of what you've drunk. Golden ale. <laughs> oh, how did you did you drink that? <laughs> yeah, Ben sent me home with a bottom, bottle of his uh, homebrew, which was, what did you think? It was perfectly fine but it was a little bit unremarkable. Yeah, 
Yeah, to it, me... It had it, been better in the summer, out in the sun, because I had it had been in the fridge for about a week and it was really cold, and I thought, oh, you know okay. what, out in the sun, that'd be all right, but on a miserable... So it wasn't, it wasn't disgusting then? No, not at all. Oh, which... that's that's what, that's the review I'm looking for. Is that the flavour note you were going for? Not shit. It's, it's okay, isn't it? Because it gave, I had, I had about three pints of it, it gave me a headache, but I can just taste this homebrew thing, but it might just be the yeast, so. We don't start on the booze until we've done presents, so we kind of get up and have a coffee and toast, and then we get all the presents out of the way, in case you've got to remember anything that's got to go back. Oh, I find God. that if you've already had a couple of sherries by the time you're opening the presents, if anything's got to go back, you can't remember where it's from and where the, where you've put the receipt. After, after you've been told 17 times, I'm putting the receipt in here. Look, having it waved in front of your face. Put that next shout voucher on the shelf because else it will get tidied up with all the packaging and you'll lose it. No, it That's won't. what we get. What time do you have your Christmas dinner? Um, I don't know because we've, we've gone out for it the last few years, but this year I'll be cooking it in, so not too early. I'd... You'll be cooking it in? Yeah, yeah. Oh, is it your yeah. is it uh, your area Christmas dinner? Uh, yeah, I do. When we do have a Sunday roast, it's usually Karen does the odd one, but I usually I cook it. So I've done a few in the past. Sorry, right. it, it's just a bit of a uh, yes, slog, isn't it? A big meal like that. Yeah, it it is, and I suppose it's just trying to do something a little bit different. There's one year where we sort of hollowed out um, red onions and put breadcrumbs and and cheese in and things like that and. You know, like they're frying up sprouts with a bit of bacon. It's just trying to do a little, oh. anything that's just a little little bit of a variation. No, no. <laughs> not for me. No, none not of that, foreign, none of that keep, foreign muck. Karen keeps, keeps putting fucking chestnuts in with sprouts. I like sprouts. I just I just think the more you do with them, you the like less them I like God them. Intended. I like them au naturel. Yeah. Sprouts are like baby bells, aren't they? They look like they've been caught in a net. You know, like one of those... <laughs> In, out in the woods, you know, they, the net scoops up a load. Like Ewoks. I'd never had um, cauliflower cheese on a roast dinner or a Christmas dinner until I started seeing Karen and all her family do it, and I'm I'm quite used to it now. But uh, we, when I do a Sunday dinner, we have cauliflower cheese, Yorkshire puddings, and stuff in there, like the extra bits to it. Yeah. But if you go to Toby Carvery, they're all over the cauliflower cheese now as well. You see. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I remember about a Carvery was. I remember when they were understaffed and there was only one person uh, on the counter, you could see what sauces they had and you could ask the woman or the guy if they could go and check in the kitchen if they had another sauce. Like if they've got no bread sauce, you say, mm. do you mind going and asking in the kitchen if, if they've got any bread sauce? And then while they're gone, you can fill your pockets with roast potatoes. <laughs> You'd have to be wearing like a low-grade pair of t- trousers, so wouldn't you? Because... You'd be ready for the oil marks on yeah. your pot. Yeah, well, you could line them with um, cat shit bags, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> like you line a bin. Line like you bag. line a bin. Yeah. Double bag it. I think there's adequate chance to, to mound up with the roast potatoes, unless, unless you're a really sort of big fan of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd probably have rather have roast potatoes than anything else on the plate, to be honest, on the dinner. We had this French woman that used to work on site with us as a stonemason, and I, I used to ask her like what she finds strange about English culture, and she said it's the fact that you need to have a sauce with every different type of meat. So, you know, apple sauce with pork, cranberry sauce with turkey. Um, HP with everything. <laughs> yeah. 
um, horseradish with beef. You know, she went through them all, and I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are your opinions on um, puddings? I like to eat so much main Christmas dinner that I don't want anything for about four hours. Um, as a young as a young child and a young man, I found Christmas pudding abhorrent. I thought it was awful. I didn't understand. Like like a lot of things that we've talked about in the past, blue cheese, yeah. tonic water, olives, you know, like these things taste like poison. But I've got older, you know, I've moved on to the Christmas cake a little bit. And now, just lately, now I'm in my 40s, Christmas pudding, so it's okay, yeah. Don't mind a tiny little bit of it. Yeah, because I used to be all about the Viennetta on Christmas Day. When do you do your presents, in the morning or after? Well, the kids are allowed one, a cheap one, on the Christmas Eve night, just before they go to bed. Oh, that's a, that's a European thing. It's like they do it in Germany and Scandinavia, I think. Ah, and then... I think so. And then um, it'll be... The, the presents will be put out, laid out in the living room under the tree for them in the morning. But obviously the kids are a bit older now, so it'll only be Rose that's be sort of really excited about all that oh. and then yeah because we've been out for christmas dinner the last few years so it's going to be nice just staying in because it's like having somewhere it's, you know last year we were at butlins and the year before we went out for a pub and it you was went to butlins for christmas yeah <laughs> <laughs> or auschwitz with guinness that's what i like to call it and then Boxing Day is just sort of a real lounge around day, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, if you think of Christmas Day, you you never drink and probably eat quite as much as you do on any other day, do you? So, Well, you if know. you forget to get a big box of Andrews in, it's a mostly sitting around on the toilet day. <laughs> yeah, but Boxing Day. Yeah. I get a big tub of Andrews and I set an alarm on my phone every 90 minutes. I have a glass of it. What's Andrews? Like the antacid stuff? Um, no, it used to be called Andrew's liver salts. It, it keeps, if you're constipated, it keeps everything moving. <laughs> so I set an alarm on my phone, um, and every once in a while it beeps. I go and have a glass of it, and, uh, you know, I, I'm good for two or three days. If you're in company, you should tell people about this alarm, and then when it, when it, so when it beeps, you can go, hey, up, and wink at them. Time to go. <laughs> Make it like a big thing about it. Yeah. If I don't go now, I won't go tomorrow. <laughs> What about uh, Christmas sweets, the big, um, you know, the, your big boxes that you get? Um, I've got to say the all-time favourite is the long industrial tube of jelly tots. It's always a winner for me. Do you know the ones I mean? It's the ones that look like they could keep a poster in them, that, that size. What about, you know, your ones that, the traditional big box sweets? Oh, like um, the chocolates and stuff. Yeah, like you've got... Chip. Heroes, haven't you, in celebrations? Heroes, celebrations, roses, and Quality Street are probably your big four players. Which is the one? Which is the one that's got bounties in? It was celebrations, and I think now, ta- I think they're taking them out because they've well, stopped yeah, doing bounty, haven't they? There's been a big furore about it, hasn't there? About you know how no one really liked the bounties and stuff. Yeah, I did. And what? And what? I don't know if you sent me it, but one man had done an audit each Christmas about, and he'd written down the percentage of bounties. Months. Fantastic. <laughs> he'd obviously had far too much time on his hands, but he thought, you know, they were already underrepresented bounties, so yeah. he thought they should be left in. So did I. I mean, you've got. Well, do they not? Do, do they not make them anymore? I don't. Well, if they've not stopped, they are stopping. You know, the full size ones, the the bounties. But in celebrations, you've got. Snickers, Twix, Twix are good. Mars, Maltesers, Milky Way, 
bounty galaxy. You're not keen. The silky slipperiness of that galaxy. I don't. I don't mind galaxy, but it's like dairy milk. It's just you just expect more at Christmas, don't you, than just a block of fucking chocolate. I do like. I do like dairy milk, but I'd like the fruit and nut. You see, got a bit of added twist to it. Yeah, it's it? got a bit of texture, hasn't it? And the Maltesers that you get—they're not actual Maltesers. They're like. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they've got little bits of Malteser. Yeah. And I was thinking about this. I thought about this actually while I was watching Oppenheimer. <laughs> Relative, it's relevant, isn't it? Why can the proper all malt center only be applied to a sphere? I think there'd be something genuinely thrilling about a rugby ball shaped proper Malteser with an all all malt center. It must be a production issue. Must be. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's got to well, be. I think that'd be magical. Perhaps they want to keep it exclusive. Perhaps they want to keep that honeycomb centre predominantly to a sphere rather than a you know an oval shape. Even if they only like put one in per thousand or something, it'd be a result, wouldn't it? I can't cope with a full crunchy bar. I can only deal with it in the small bite sizes things in the bags. You know, like the rocks. I think they're too much. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of sugar, isn't it? That's it. That's heroes. Um, crunchy twirl, double decker, get in, cream egg. Eclair, Dairy Milk, Whisper, Fudge. Oh, okay. Pro- so, probably probably the biggest selection you get in Heroes. Yeah, because Celebrations are all Mars chocolate made in Slough. Mars of and Slough. And your Heroes. Heroes is your Cadbury's then. They're all Cadbury's, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Uh, Double Decker. Oh, I had one yesterday. I took it out of Rose's selection box Eey. without her knowing. And it was amazing. It's a quality uh, chock, in it? Double decker. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go fudge second. Oh, a bit too sugary for me. The I, old like da- I like dairy fudge. Do you remember the old um, advert? A finger of fudge. Finger of fudge, where Cadbury's tried to persuade the nation that fudge o'clock was a thing. <laughs> With the two kids playing and one of them keeps moving his conker because he's looking outside and there's... there's a woman out there distributing fudges. Possibly his mother. Do you remember it? No, I don't. Fudge o'clock's never going to work. It's just it's not, not got a... I was, thinking, well, I was leaving school. There was no one waiting outside to fucking hand me fudges. Well, if there was, you'd, you'd be very suspicious of him or yeah. her. Yeah. And that yeah. gurning conker chimp kid at the end in his little urchin clothes, finished with him sort of going, mmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's probably fucking CEO of Argos or something now. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, cream egg? Not, no, not interested. F- fondant centres. Fondant is just far too, far too sweet. Yeah, it's if, you, if you've ever sugar. made fondant, it's just literally sugar and water. I need someone to explain. Like, I need someone to explain to Karen that's not me that they only bring out cream eggs on the run up to Easter. Like, you can't get them any other time of year because every if I go to the shop. I'll go, do you want anything? She'll go, get me a cream egg. I have to come back into the house from the door and say, look, we've been through this. They don't do them, like, apart from the run-up to Easter. You see, if you if you were any kind of husband, you'd buy a load at Easter and you'd keep them in your car so you could so you could produce them whenever she demanded one. But then they'd go they'd, they'd go funny like Christmas tree chocolate does next to the radiator, doesn't it? And they wouldn't. Un- it's just literally sugar and water in the and middle. When, no, but the chocolate, when you unwrap it, it's got like that white dust over it if you keep it oh, too it gets long. Oh, it gets a bloom on it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
But it's made by Americans now, I think. So it's probably good for a thousand years or something. What? Cadbury's? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Everyone, mo- everyone moaned when they changed the recipe to the cream egg the other year. I used to work with a guy that worked at Cadbury's, and he said when they did the night shift, any shift actually, they could help themselves to as much chocolate as they wanted. But um, Dave on the boo style always used to overdo it, and the in house doctor <laughs> used to get called over the tannoy. <laughs> Can the doctor come to the the boost style? Dave's overdone it again, and he like the doctor would bring the Andrews, and they'd say, "How many boosts have you had?" And he would have had about six or something, you know. <laughs> and he'd be keeled over, holding his stomach. Dave's boost bound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so cream boost, cream eggs are shit. Yeah. I just think if you if you like sugar that much, just fucking eat sugar. Save yourself some money, especially if you live on your own. Fucking no one's gonna see. <laughs> Treat yourself. It's Christmas. What do you think of the eclair? The um, the toffee with the chocolate in the middle. It's like nice. a, it's wrong way around, isn't it? It's like an inside out chocolate. I wouldn't. I wouldn't use it leisurely. I'd use it for long journeys. The eclair. Or, yeah, like a car sweet. Yeah, to kill to kill some time at work or something like that. I couldn't. I wouldn't sit in the living room with them. I can't go near anything like that. I, I don't mind them. I don't mind an eclair, but I just think. You know, the, the risk at this time of year of biting into an eclair or something and breaking a crown or pulling a filling out, it'd be absolutely fucking catastrophic at Christmas, wouldn't it? So, so you've, no, you've, give him a wide berth. You've done an, an internal risk assessment on eclairs for Christmas then. Is yeah, that what you're saying? yeah. It's, uh, it's the same as um, we'll get on to Quality Street, I think, later. Um, the, the Toffee Penny used to be a favourite of mine. But oh, fucking hell, yeah. They're and, on. The, and the stick of toffee with chocolate around it in gold. Yeah, yeah. You know, a little, they're hard work, Yeah, I love they? the things, but, you know, if, if anything's going to stop me eating 17 pounds of heavy cheese at Christmas, it's not going to be a fucking toffee penny. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, they stay unloved at the bottom of the tub these days. See, any chocolate that um, I get, I don't eat much of it chocolate, but it goes straight in the freezer. So I eat it out of the freezer like slabs of dairy milk and stuff like that. I, I want it to be like glass when I break it. It's I like that on Easter eggs. I like yeah, the textural yeah, snap yeah, of Easter yeah. egg chocolate out of the fridge. Yeah. Roses. Uh, these are my least favourite of the, you know, the now, classics. Now, that's made by Cadbury's again, if I'm Is correct. Is it Cadbury's? There's, just, there's a slight whiff of death about roses, I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are associated with with the elderly and infirm. Yeah, aren't they? it's kind of there's a definite feeling of this is your last treat on this. Yeah, on this earth. It's like someone said, "Look, Audrey from next door's dying. Take us some roses, round, will you?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, soft centers only. <laughs> yeah, the strawberry cream is too much. Too much. Oh, they're just a selection of sort of nondescript pastes. Some of them were fruity. Some of them were nutty. Just all of them fucking ghastly. Is it the purple ones in roses, though, isn't it? The big purple ones. No, it's nothing. the purple ones in Quality Street. Oh, is it? Yeah, yes, the big yes, purple yeah, one. Right, actually. Yeah, that's my favourite. Yeah, and they only put two of them in a box because I think it was just them wanting to start fucking fights on Christmas Day. You get about <laughs> six or eight of the other ones, but they only put two purple ones in. And the green triangles I've always quite liked as well. They're a bit obscure. That's just like a block of chocolate again, isn't it? That's like your dairy milk or your galaxy block. There's something a bit... I can't, I can't get excited about There's that. something a bit strange in I can't remember what it's called. 
praline. Is it praline? In praline, the I quite like. Yeah. There used to be one of them that had praline in, and it was like a, it had a bit of a snap to it when you... Yeah, that's the one, yeah. But it, but it wasn't hard. It was sort of like the inside of a dime bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Dairy Milk have been doing Dairy Milks infused with dime. Ooh. They're nice. They're I like, nice. I like them little tiny individual dime bars that you can bite all the chocolate off. Ah. I'm not normally one for, you know, people say, how do you eat this? Oh, I pick all the fucking chocolate off one side because I'm fucking six. <laughs> but I like doing it with I like doing it with dime bars. I put a Kit Kat in the microwave once and the wafer burst into flames and the, uh, they couldn't get the smell out of the kitchen for about a month. Fucking hell. Yeah. I put a joint in the microwave once to dry it out and it dried it out and lit it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, right, on to Quality Street. I've put sea roses because, to be honest, there's not many of these I like either. Coconut's all right. It's like in Quality Street, it's like a chocolate coconut. It's just not It's not white coconut, is it? Yeah, yeah. And one of them, is they've got blue wrappers and they always get left at the end, don't they? Yeah. I think that's the coconut one, actually. Um, what else we've got? Coconut, uh, passable fudge, toffee finger in the penny. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I think that's about, that's about it with Quality Street. So do you get any of these? Or? No, no, not intentionally. I might buy them for someone, but um, I'm not a big chocolate eater. I go through a lot of little mini phases. Right, we're not doing the usual quiz where I have props and wheels and things. We're just going to have a very casual little quick quiz off the back of the sweets. Oh. Which is... Uh, is it a song or is it a sweet? Oh, like it. Are the following delicious sounding treats a bygone flavour from either Quality Street Heroes or Roses or are they song titles? So are these sweets that have been discarded by the sweet companies? Right. I didn't know there were so many. I will say that some of these songs, when they are a song, some of them uh, are by hip-hop artists, so absolutely fucking anything is possible. <laughs> True. <laughs> With that caveat, we'll go straight into number one, which is okay. Savoy Truffle. Savoy Truffle. Savoy Truffle. Is it a song? Is it a sweet? I'd say it's a sweet. Oh, it's a song, and it's by the Beatles. Oh, bloody hell. It's on the White, it's on the White album as well. It's on the same album as um, Dear Prudence and Why Don't We Do It in the Road and Rocky Raccoon and things, yeah. Savoy Truffle. I know I'd heard it from somewhere. <laughs> it means nothing to me. I'll take your word for it. Uh, Chocolate Symphony. It's because you'd said hip-hop artists, you see. Oh, no, they're not all hip-hop artists. Oh, okay. Number two, Chocolate Symphony. Uh, That sounds like an album by Gabrielle. Chocolate Symphony. Yeah. That's got to be a song because it's too vague to be a sweet, isn't it? Because Are you you going with song? I'm going to go with song, yeah. Correct. Bee Gees. (laughs) Number three. You could be a quiz master in a pub. Battle of the Boyne, 1947. <laughs> Bee Gees. <laughs> and next up, here's the picture round where you can win a lovely box of meat. Number three, Apricot Delight. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that was ever a sweet. No. I've not, I can't think of any, you know, any instance where sweet company have used peach or apricots. So you're going with song. I'm going to go for song again because I think you're going to you're going to have thrown me by putting three songs in to start with. Quality Street. <laughs> no wonder it's discontinued. Prune surprise. <laughs> Prune surprise. Onion Eclair. Number four. Cocoa butter kisses. Well, you know, obviously cocoa butter is a very popular 
well-branded moisturiser. Um, so I'm going to go for Song. Correct. Dua Lipa, whatever one of those is. Ah, uh, yeah. I like Dua Lipa. Number five, Nuts About Caramel. <laughs> Gotta be a sweet, isn't it? Yeah, heroes. <laughs> Number six, Evening Coconut. <laughs> oh, his hat's come off. It's got to be a song. And I, if it is a song, I need to hear it. You know, like, and you know, what the situation was where a man or woman said, Evening Coconut. Well, it's by Neil Young, so you can imagine that it, it might not have been entirely straight-minded when he when he wrote that. Do you think he was particular hit? Do you think he was talking to that coconut, or do you think it was a coconut you know, to be consumed in the evening? Yeah, yeah. Wonder what wonder what the the truth is behind that. Perhaps Wouldn't... he was being quizzed on the appropriate time of day to consume certain nuts. Breakfast Brazil. Lunchtime macadamia. Lunch cashew. Evening coconut. Number seven. Chateau Nougatine. It's got to be a sweet. Um, and that's it. Chateau, Chateau Nougatine. It can't be a song, can it? It's a song by uh, Eminem. <laughs> um, what are you going for? Sweet. No, it's a song by Chantelle Goya. Oh. Whoever the fuck she is. I, don't, I could have really researched this a bit better, but anyway, we'll, this is what we've got. It's a great song title. I've got to give it to her. Black Cherry Cream is number eight. That's got to be a sweet, or it's not. if it's not, it's a song by Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I know the one you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a sweet. It's a Roses. It's a long-forgotten Roses sweet. Black cherry cream. I bet that was nice. Yeah. Because um, last year we had a Black Forest Gatto on my birthday, and that's a forgotten 80s. Oh, I love a Black cake. Forest Gatto. Nice, King nice. Cakes, really that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Next one? Yeah. Uh, number nine, Prison Women. <laughs> I don't, I can't see it being a, um, a marketable sweet. Really? Well, no. you've got you've got to remember that some of these sweets, like Quality Street, are a hundred years old now. You know, they're different times, weren't they? Different times back then, yes. <laughs> but no, Prison Women, definite song. Definite song by Ario Speedwagon. Oh, nice. Number ten, Caramel Velvet. Oh, it's got to be a sweet, hasn't it? Roses. Yeah. Oh, he's on a roll. Uh, number eleven. Chunky Truffle. I'm going to go song with that. I could see it being like a, you know, disparaging remark about someone. Not to sweet, roses. Oh, fucking hell. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's got to be a sweet. I can't see how that can be a song title. Well, you can't see it, but it is. It's a song by someone called Cupcake. Who is, I, thought I, you were say, I believe he's yep. one of the rappers. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah. Uh, that was number 12. Number 13, Turkish Delight. Obviously a sweet. One of my favourites. A bit of a trick on this. It is a sweet, but it's also a song by a hip-hop artist called Little Simp. Oh, right. Do you like Turkish Delight? Do you? Uh, no. Tastes like soap. Yeah. But, yeah, that's why I like <laughs> mm, it. Delicious soap. 
number 14, Gooseberry Cream. Oh, it's got, hang on, just going, going back, it's got rose hip in it, hasn't it, Turkish Delight? That's why it gives it its sort of floral, sort of soapy. Also, also yeah. Little Simp is actually a, a rose hip hop artist. <laughs> Brilliant. What's the next one? Uh, number 14, Gooseberry Cream. You can't. You, you, you simply can't make a gooseberry that sweet, surely. But then again, it was different times. So perhaps it was a, an after-the-war type sweet. So I'm going to say sweet. Quality straight. They did a gooseberry cream. Gooseberry cream, yeah. Wow. Uh, number 15, Almond Grove. I think I used to live there at number four. <laughs> yeah, sweet. No, it's a song by Cracker. Oh. Number 16. What, the um, the detective played by <laughs> Robbie Coltrane? <laughs> Number 16, Brazilian Darkness. A uh, song, gotta be. It's a sweet. Oh. Roses. Brazilian darkness. Oh, yeah, it's probably got the Brazil nut, isn't it? With yeah. dark, wrapped in dark chocolate. Number 17, Let My Nuts Go. <laughs> it's, got, it's got to be 50 Cent or someone. Uh, it's by a chap called Lil John. Oh, right. There's a few Lils in the hip-hop world, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll give you that one. Toffee Deluxe is number 18. Uh, sweet. Yep, Quality Street. Number 19, Nuts About Caramel. Uh, is it me or is a lot of these include the word nuts? <laughs> nuts About Caramel, got to be a sweet. Absolutely, heroes. Yeah. And last one, number 20, uh, Caramel Kisses. Uh, got to be a song by a woman. You'd be right. Um, song by Faith Evans. Nice. One, two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Thirteen out of twenty. That's not bad. It's not That's bad, not is bad. it? That. Give you a to small get ripple of over... applause. Yeah, as long as I get over halfway, you know. Right, let's have a Christmas film that isn't actually a Christmas film. Why is it? It's considered a Christmas film because it was released around Christmas or because of the sentiment behind it? Mostly because I decided it was when I told you to watch it. Oh, right. So the film that we're talking about is called The Fisher King. Starring Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, made in 1991. Yeah, 1991. Yeah. Set in New York, isn't it? Yeah, Jeff Bridges is is, um, is what they used to call a shock jock, isn't he? Like a kind of Howard Sterny, sort of angry, shouty DJ. You know, does a lot of drugs, lives fast. And one night he gets a caller on the radio show and he has a bit of a rant at him and it leads to an incident, doesn't it? Out in the real world and, you know, that he's kind of almost directly responsible yeah, for, he, isn't he, he, from what he said he on his show. He gives the, the call of the go-ahead to go and... And commit an act, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, quite a violent one. And then that sort of ends his career, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes completely off the rails, doesn't because it? Because when he... Just starts drinking, goes 
disappears from yeah showbiz and you know goes from sort of a plush apartment in this upstate new york to to live in sort of in that in a woman's sort of shop isn't he upstairs above a video shop isn't it but isn't that you know that woman's such a big part of the film because everyone that he worked with these bosses and everyone at the company at the radio show and all his friends at the time obviously sort of ditched him because of what happens yeah and she when you when you sort of see him in the aftermath of it she's the only one that really sort of gives him any time of day gives him any any time of day yeah um, yeah, Mercedes Rule, she was called. She won Best Supporting Actress. Oh, for did that. she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was the only Oscar it got. It won a, quite a lot of awards, but that was the only Oscar it got. Oh, just for her in that supporting act? Yeah. yeah. I mean, she is, she is sensational. Isn't yeah, it? because so when Jeff Bridges is sort of down and out and he's changed the lifestyle, um, he's sort of at his lowest ebb, isn't he? Yeah. And he's, um, he's, about, he's about to sort of. He top himself, isn't he, in this sort of desolate bit of wasteland under a bridge. Yeah, he's on the dock's edge, isn't he? Yeah, and then two lads turn up and decide to sort of help him out with his misery, as in, like, make him suffer more. And he's rescued then, yeah. isn't he, by Robin Williams and his sort of band of homeless friends. Merry band of nutcases <laughs> who who live in this. It's almost like they've got a sort of sub-society, haven't they? They've got, you know, you've got the shiny world where people are kind of well-to-do and then you've got this level below where the homeless people live and robin williams is one of them yeah and when you first meet robin williams um he's very very intense he's obviously something's happened in his life that has made him go sort of mad hasn't it and oh yeah he's he's clearly some of the scenes he think he thinks he's a knight of the realm on the search for the holy grail oh yeah 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 it's set in early 90s new york and it's the director's terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Yeah, who also directed 12 Monkeys. So there's some aspects of The Fisher King that are quite similar to 12 Monkeys because they show this sort of awful underbelly of societies it was, was, yeah, was back the then. Because, you know, I've read a lot, whereas like New York and big cities in America were at their worst time in the late 80s and early 90s before, you know, it, it was all sort of clean. Gentrified. cleaned up gentrified the police sort of got yeah. a hold on the crime so you see these sort of death every time they walk around the street in fisher king there's litter everywhere isn't there it's dark it's yeah. moody there's always a chance that they're going to bump into some sort of pocket of violence at any given point a bit like you know when 12 monkeys a woman's trying to help bruce willis sort of escape from the people you know in the past that are trying to get him so they're all in yeah. it's like dingy areas dingy hotels it's sort of this horrible sort of underbelly isn't it do you know what i mean yeah so it's very similar in that way. Yeah, and Jeff Jeff Bridges wakes up in um, after getting pissed with them all. He wakes up on the floor of Robin Williams. Well, it's not a, not an apartment. Is he it? lives it's in the, the basement. Yeah. Boiler. Yeah, it's a basement boiler room. Um, and you realise that the incident which Jeff Bridges caused on his radio show has also kind of randomly affected Robin Williams. And that's that's kind of the thing. Life's kind of thrown them together, hasn't it? Yeah. The two people, one who's kind of caused a thing and one who's kind of in a position where he's, you know, he's completely lost his mind and lost everything in his life because of the thing. And the redemption is Jeff Bridges kind of starts to feel like if he can help Robin Williams get back on track in his life, then perhaps his own life might start to to get a bit better the friendship comes later on doesn't it at first it's kind of very you know he's he's doing it for purely selfish yeah, reasons yeah he's, he's thinking if first. he helps robin williams out he can you know get 
his moral compass back realigned, can't he? To then try and sort of yeah. get on with his life and get out of the situation he's in, which is what it starts as. And at one point, he thinks he's done that, doesn't he? He sets he sets Robin Williams' character up with a woman, and they go on a date, and he thinks, right, I've got him on his feet, back in some sort of sense of reality. And he actually returns, yeah. you know, he rings his old agent up, doesn't he? And returns to his yeah. his old life. And you think, oh, right. Yeah, because he, he goes back into the office and they're pitching him an idea, aren't they, about a show, about a sitcom that they think he'd be good for, where he's, he's saying, you know, it's about homeless people. This guy's one of this group of homeless people. But the happy homeless people, you know, they like being on the streets. And by this point, Jeff Bridges has actually seen actual homeless people out and the, how fucking miserable it is. And he just thinks this entire world that I'm trying to get back into is just harsh shit, isn't it? Yeah, and he actually... It's just all He walks bullshit. out of the office almost immediately, doesn't he, when they pitch him that yeah. idea and, and goes, you know, goes back looking for Robin Williams. But, um, yeah, he's obsessed with... Robin Williams is obsessed with Amanda Plummer, who was in... Oh, yeah, what a strange character she is. What, yeah, she's she kind of a little squirrely she? character, isn't she? Yeah, she was um, Honey Bunny. I'll execute every motherfucking oh, last one of you in the diner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah. No way. So Robin Williams, through his daily, you know, rooting through skips and bins and stuff on the street, has, has spotted this woman regularly, and he just follows her around, doesn't he? Doesn't ever interact with her, watches her from afar, sees her come out of work, she buys a book at the shop on the corner, goes for lunch, goes back to work, and he's just... When he tells her all this stuff... Now, most women, now what we know about stalking in sort of modern day times, would freak out and have probably have nothing to do with him. But she finds it endearing, yeah. doesn't she? She likes the fact that he's been watching across Yeah, the- kind of. But, I mean, she's, she's quite an odd yeah, she's character, herself, isn't she? But he, f- he follows her through Grand Central Station at one point. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. And as he's, as he's watching her go through the, the main hall at Grand Central Station, you know, people are bumping into her and stuff like that, and everyone's rushing to get where they're going and it's all very impersonal but there's this on top of the clock there's like a glitter ball isn't there yeah that's spinning round and through robin williams's eyes as he's watching her it turns into a ballroom yeah, doesn't it? and everyone starts dancing, waltzing yeah. with each other and he's other. sort of moving his way between the crowd isn't he yeah whilst all these people are twirling it's fucking brilliant the actually closed grand central station between eight o'clock at night and 5.30 the next morning when the next uh, the first commuter train started and they put massive lights outside the windows so it just okay. looked like 5 o'clock okay. at tea time and they just filmed them waltzing and waltzing and waltzing all night for about 6 hours no way um, and that's it, it gets to the end ends really positively doesn't it yeah because you know Jeff Bridges is the character's vile when you first meet him don't you yeah and then you know you you only warm to him slightly when you realize that he's helping Robert Williams just to fuel you know his own sanity and make him feel good again but it takes him a long time to sort of turn around and like grasp Robin Williams world and it really makes him a better person doesn't it yeah yeah, it's fantastic. If you you know, it's like I say, it's not an actual Christmas film, but it's definitely got Christmassy themes. And if you can't face Markham and Wise or the two Ronnies that you know when it gets to about nine o'clock on Christmas Day, if you can find the Fisher King somewhere, you're um, you're gonna have a good time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
four, three, two, one, zero. The edge of the everything. Edge of everything. That's called. it. Yeah, yeah, because one of his friends sort of makes a, a point of saying that that's how he sort of lives his life, isn't it? Yeah, it's Damien Hurst, yeah. isn't it? Well, it's um, I think it's on Prime actually. The it, this this documentary yeah. is not to be confused with a program he did where he was um in America, sort of pole hustling. Did you ever say? I think that was a series, though, wasn't it? No, I didn't see that. Also, not to be confused with the Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you'll be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, so the Ronnie O'Sullivan, the Edge of Everything. It's the camera crew follows him in one particular year. Um, only a couple of years ago, and obviously he's getting into his forties now. But as it follows him on this, nearly sort in of, his fifties, he's about forty-eight. Yeah, as think, it follows yeah. this on this tour, it's all leading up to the World Championships, of which he's already won it six times. But Stephen Hendry, who features a lot, has won it seven. So this gets mentioned a couple of times, and it's sort of you flip between modern day and him doing the UK Championships and these sort of these other competitions. It's all sort of leading up to the worlds, but it cuts back to his childhood and and his relationship with his dad, who at a very early age, his dad went to prison for murder, didn't he? Yeah. And how that affected his life, and it was obviously it was massive because him and his dad were, it was dad that got him into snooker, his dad yeah. changed his mentality from just sort of, oh, I'm just going to enjoy snooker to, no, son, you can really win something here. Gave him a, yeah, he pushed him hard, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, there wasn't anything too overbearing in a way. It was just to say, it was just to make him believe in himself to a point like, you can go out and beat these people, you know, don't have any fear. Because yeah. he, he was sort of quite a quiet boy, wasn't he, when he was younger? Yeah, shy lad. Quite, quite withdrawn, yeah. Um, and there was, you know, there were parts of it where you saw him sort of on these on this modern sort of tour, and you know, you considering how much money he has, you think like him and all his agent, it must have been choice because he obviously could afford very swanky hotels if he wanted to, but a lot I thought a lot this. of the shots yeah. of him in Landudno and places like that, it was almost there was camera shots from down a long corridor and it, it was like yeah. shots of Ronnie eating breakfast on his own in sort of a really quite not a run down hotel but an old one, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think they probably stay in them because it's just handy for the actual you know, rather than being in a swanky place across town and then having to get to the venue. Well, it, you know. It all sort of added to them trying to show that on tour it can be a lonely place. And you know he's oh god yeah isolated because he's on the phone a lot, isn't he? So it just shows that he's there on his own. Yeah, it really he's on the is. phone to someone that you never sort of see who's on the phone to, and it's almost like that film with Mickey Rourke, the wrestler. How they sort of show yeah. this this sort of old school wrestler, this tour. It's quite a lonely existence, and it reminded me a little bit of that, you know. Um, but yeah, so it flipped back and forth to his early days and building up the confidence and the relationship with his dad, and then this sort of um, the modern tour leading up to the world championships, and you know snapshots, talking heads of other famous players like Stephen Hendry, who at one point said that you know while he was still playing, but perhaps coming perhaps to the end of his career, he'd heard about Ronnie on the circuit, knew that there was a young lad coming up that was playing really well, that was shit up, and he does this thing about how he got ready for this match with Ronnie and got himself mentally and physically ready. And then Ronnie turned up 
and played the whole game 90% of the time with his left hand, didn't he? And he said, yeah, like, his wrong hand. <laughs> his wrong hand beat him. And he said, how could I have prepared for that, that this kid was just going to turn up <laughs> yeah. and just play with his different hand and then still beat me, you know? Yeah. Just amazing, wasn't it? To think that Ronnie was so good with both hands, be ambidextrous like that, to be a genius and then just be able to put the cue in his other hand. And, yeah, yeah. You know. Totally. Well, if you've ever played snooker on a 12-foot, you know, a full-size table and, you know, like me, you're not very good at it with, you, with your proper hand, <laughs> yeah. you just forget about doing it the other way around. But it's, I think it's just fantastic that you can be at the top of a sport for, for 30 years. I mean, there's nothing else where you can, is there? No. I mean, I know, fair enough, it's not a physically athletic sport. You know, it's a very mentally other, draining. Other and, players, you know, other great players, Hendricks, Steve Davis, people like that, they have significantly declined in their 40s. I saw Ronnie interviewed it uh, recently because he won the UK Championship, didn't he? And he said... Yep. Watched all he that. said it's good. it's me that keeps thinking about my age and you know whether I'm still good enough and but he said but I still keep seem to be doing all right so you know. well, I looked in uh, I was trying to find um, there's not a lot out there to be honest but I was trying to find things about health conditions that you know long term professional snooker players have you know to see if there's anything about the sport that perhaps does you any harm and it doesn't you know it doesn't seem to there's you know there's quite a few I've had. Um, cancer, uh, the snooker players, Jack Lazowski, Ali Carter. Ali Carter's had it twice, two that'd different be, ones. Um, that'd be from all the pre 2007 playing snooker in snooker halls full of fag smoke, wasn't it? Do you know? What I mean? uh, yeah, like, well, it was he had um, lung cancer, was one of just them, just like Roy Castle got uh, cancer from inhaling smoke through his trumpet, you know, from playing inside. It's <laughs> 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 true. You blow out through a trumpet. You, have, you don't you suck You have to in. breathe in at some point. <laughs> he would. He'd inhale all that fag smoke into his trumpet. You research it. Oh, God, we're terrible people. Uh, Jimmy White, you know, he had cancer at one point. Paul Hunter, you know, terrible. He died very young from it. Willie Thorne, leukaemia. But, you know, as much as there isn't anything that snooker seems to, you know, give you any any kind of condition there's quite a few that suffer with the mental side of it yeah which is ronnie obviously is you know he talks about it a lot in this documentary doesn't he which is good you know he says like i was talking about this 20 years ago way before a lot of other you know sportsmen and high profile public figures have do now it's seen as the norm now isn't it whereas obviously it wasn't back then um mark selby the last few years he's been struggling like mad with it yeah, yeah. So, and I think Ronnie coming out and talking about it quite openly is has helped, hasn't it? Because they showed him, they showed him conceding games when he, you know, he still had like another ten francs to play. Thinking about Mark Selby, who's been struggling the last few years. Yeah, it's better that at least you're struggling with it once your career is going, because if you know when you were first starting out and you didn't have a pot to piss in, and you couldn't afford the best care. If it had happened to him then, he'd he'd just never been able to have a snooker career. Yeah. Whereas he's a big name in it now, and he's made a bit of money. So he, you know, if anyone can get medical help that will help them, he can afford to do. Yeah, that. it's the same as the other guy we've talked about on previous podcasts, Dave Gilbert. He's, you know, he's suffered 
I think mentally as well with certain aspects of his yeah. life and so on. So, you know, as clear cut as a lot of these new players are, it's um, it's good. You know, Ronnie's like such an interesting person. Like that whole documentary and the way it was shot. You know, you you're on it with him, and then I, you? you know, you it holds your interest all the way through. Yeah, like I say, you've got to you've got to be doing it for for such a long time to you know he's won everything he's you know he's the on on paper and to watch the best player that's that there's ever been Ronnie O'Sullivan but you you know you've got to be doing it for 30 years to get that many titles yeah 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 you know you've got to be doing it for a long time and again going back to Mark Selby it should be encouraging for him to think well you know my mental health is in the toilet at the moment but so is Ronnie O'Sullivan's, and he's the best fucking player that there's ever been. Yeah, and Ronnie's probably, you know, he could he'd probably say himself, he's sort of come out the other side, really, hasn't he? But then again, you know, watching that documentary and watching him struggle through the final, because, you know, it's not, it's not a yeah. spoiler. He, he, You know, they, they follow in the World Championships. He gets to the final, he wins it, and he wins the World Championships for the seventh time, equaling Steve Hendry's record. This was a couple of years ago now. Um, but he goes through phases of the final. He gets a lead in the final and then starts to lose it, doesn't he? I think it is to Judd Trump, isn't it? And um, and you see, yes, and you yeah, see him coming to his dressing room, and he's just in he's in bits, isn't he? He's in pieces. Yeah, it's like hey, he's having a full on panic yeah, attack. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and to see like the people around him because he's got a psychiatrist, I think that sort of seemed to be with him a lot. That he works with, um, yeah. And just sort of talk him down, trying to get him to relax, you know, and just go out there. Well, it's like we talked about when I came to yours the other week. You, in one of his manic moments, he was considering getting a new hip, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, phoned his, he phoned his dad and said, I'm thinking about getting a new hip, and his dad said, are you fucking nuts? What for? What's wrong with yours? Nothing wrong with mine, he says. But I think if I get a new hip, I'll, I'll be better at snooker. You know, and his mum or dad has to talk him out of it, doesn't he? Yeah, it's almost like kind of bipolar behaviour, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, really good documentary. If you like snooker, um, if you like, it covers mental illness a lot. And, and it's just sports psychology. Yeah, it does. Yeah, with his mental health and stuff, um, he is the way he is, but he's the only person that's done what he's done. So... Does it take being that way in his head to achieve that much? And, you know, you you get the impression through that documentary and stuff you read in the papers and, you know, about the snookers, especially UK snookers governing bodies, not liking him turning down tournaments and not liking him saying this, not liking him saying that. You know, do you, do you get rid of someone like O'Sullivan and just have you know, the heights that people aspire to just as not being quite as high? Is that better or is it better to just have yeah, like someone there that, you know, people really want to reach for? But, yeah, it's good. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, The Edge of Everything, and that was on Prime, yeah. wasn't it? Amazon yeah. Prime. Right, the last one we're going to do is on BBC iPlayer. There's two series of it and it's called The Newsreader. Oh, there's two series? Yeah, only six episodes in each, so it keeps it quite ah, choppy. Okay, but it's um, how many have you? How many have you done? I think it's three, um, and it's set in late eighties Australia. Yeah, eighty six. Yeah. eighty six. I think it is in Melbourne. The studio's supposed ah, to be in Melbourne, and um, 
Yeah, it's about it's a guy that's working in a TV, TV station, and he's he's a researcher. He does small bits and pieces, but his end game is to become like the newsreader, you know, like a Ron Burgundy sort of uh, status. Yeah, he's, suppose... he's got aspirations, hasn't he? It's an it's an easy watch, isn't it? And it's got kind of a style to it. The, I, I saw one write up describe it as um, like Australian Mad Men, even though Mad Men yeah. is about advertising world and this is news. But it's uh, it's good, and there's the odd news story. Well, there's there's two men start that two main characters in there. There's the yeah. guy you were just talking about, who's called Dale. Yeah, because he's he's aspiring to be a newsreader, and like when he's given his big chance, he doesn't quite make it, does he? And he's given his big chance because of the woman that works there, the main the main anchor lady. She falls out with the big boss, and that's how he gets his chance. But he ends up sort of helping her out, and they end they end up teaming up, don't they? But she's um she's great in it. She's yeah yeah she's she, fantastic, isn't she? Because she's constantly on the edge yeah. of a breakdown yeah. isn't she? she's you we still haven't found out exactly what's happened in her past but there's been the odd you know moment that sort of has alluded to something went on that why she doesn't talk to her oh family. yeah yeah i've just I've, there's a bit, i think I've just, it's going to be that they might have had a sectioned or something when she yeah was there's younger. a bit where her sister turns up but, to say that one of them, her parents are, are ill and she's not she just goes in the house and turns yeah. the music on but they've they've got a good relationship yeah. haven't they the dale and the newsreader um and he's he's genuinely yeah he's not sort of bringing her in and being nice to her to try and further his career he he did it because he's just a nice bloke and she ends up helping him out and giving yeah. him guidance and so on but yeah she's great she's a bit mesmerizing isn't she in, in it and the yeah, well, she was in um mind hunter on okay. netflix that was really good she was good in that as well it's fantastic, isn't it? Whenever she goes on air, yeah. she's usually ten seconds before the. She's a mess, you know. She's an, an absolute mess, but she she just switches like that. Yeah. She? Oh, that's what I was. Sorry, that's what I was going to say. Because it because the program covers real events of that time, you almost like I know it's not, but it almost feels like a dramatization of of of, of a real story, doesn't it? You know, because they cover the the yeah. Challenger rocket exploding when it took off from Cape Canaveral, and they they took. So I've been to Australia quite quite a few times, and that story of the lady who claimed that a dingo took her baby that's sort of written into sort of the Australian psyche. Anyone and anyone yeah. knows that story and knows some details of it, and they cover that as well because she gets released from yeah. prison, doesn't she? The lady. Yeah, they do. In the next one, episode four, I think it is. There's a, a bombing in Melbourne. And I looked at, you know, because there's a few things I've thought, oh, God, that must have actually happened, and, and they do. If there's ever a major news incident, they do seem to have actually taken from real events. And there was a bombing in Melbourne uh, called the Russell Street bombing yeah. in the 80s, in 1986, I think. And they thought it was terrorists at first, because it was a police station. Yeah. And it turned out just to be two local career criminals. It was just a revenge killing. Oh, Okay. Um, killed this woman. She was the first um, female police officer to be killed in the line of duty. No way. Yeah. Um, one of the guys was called Minogue as well. I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting there's any kind of connection there, but it's funny, isn't it? You, you hear Minogue, and there's only two Minogues in the fucking universe, but in Australia, it's probably yeah, like so it's Johnson or something, or something, isn't it? Christmas drinks. Christmas drinks. 
what have we been wetting our whistle with this uh well this the first month? one was uh, a bottle that you brought down which was is it made by harvey it's that 12 year old sherry oh yeah and that is that a sherry. really f- like when we used to drink King's Oak cooking sherry from the shop in Billsborough when we used to when we were, and used we to have to flavour it with slices of lemon from the canteen. I get the feeling that that sherry was a little bit more low grade than the sherry you bought down. I didn't. I wasn't actually sure what made a sherry a sherry and a port a port. I did a bit of a okay. deep dive into it. I don't know what what makes a port a port, but does a sherry have to come from a certain region of Spain called Andalusia? Andalusia. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Um and port is Portugal. Oh of course, yes. Yeah. It's an abbreviation of Portugal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But they're both fortified with a spirit. Um a, a white grape spirit. That's it. I remember Yeah, I remember buying a bottle of port last year and, and having a look at what, what made port a port. Yeah, that's brought it all back now, yeah. yeah. Well it, it's to separate one from the other the spirit is added at different times. When you're making red wine that's going to be port, you add the, the white um, grape spirit before the wine's properly finished fermenting. Right. So, And when you add it, it stops the fermentation. So you've still got quite a lot of the sweet grape flavour in it. Yeah. Oh, right. And then you let it carry on. Whereas with sherry, you let the wine completely mature, as you would if you were just going to drink it. Then you add the spirit at the end. And if it's a sweet sherry, you use grapes for the wine that are very late season, so they've been on the vine for almost too long and there's just they're just sugar. Yeah. And then and then sometimes they're dried in the sun as well, so they must be like halfway to becoming raisins. I was gonna say that because that sherry that you brought down really got really fruity, raisiny, sultanery. Nutty, you know. Bit of nuttiness in there. It's as a real well. sort of Christmas sherry, isn't it? Yeah, it's um it's Waitrose and I looked it up to see if I could get it anywhere cheaper. There's a couple of quid off it at Waitrose at the minute, it's about thirteen quid. And it's only a slim bottle as well, it's only fifty CL rather than seventy five. But I think it must be exclusive to Waitrose. I couldn't see it on sale anywhere else. There's one they do in Aldi, and it's another slim bottle, a 50 centiliter bottle. And I can't think of what it's called. It's like their, what do they call it in supermarkets? Taste the difference. Oh, yeah, or, yeah. Um, all I can remember is it's in a blue label. But we normally get a couple of bottles of that um, and just one of these Harvey's ones. What's, to, the, what's you know, the Aldi one like? Is it almost. decent as well? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's brilliant. Until we discovered this Harvey's one last year, that the Aldi one was the one that was kind of our go to. And that's only about seven quid a bottle or something. Yeah, and I, and going to the port, I remember buying a bottle of Ruby Port last year, and I saw it everywhere. I think it was in the co-op and stuff. Yeah, that was nice. Tasted a little bit like Cherry B that we were drinking earlier in the year. You know, some things you like drinking neat, and some things just are great to add to other things. Ruby Port was great to add to the Guinness to give it a bit of sweetness. Yeah. As well. well, the thing with Ruby Port is. It's nice if you're eating it with something salty because then that's oh yeah you know a big block of Stilton or you know yeah, really balance. strong cheddar or something. Yeah. But the um, which port did I go for? Did you get one? That, uh, no, I didn't get a chance in the end. It's the it's a you know it's a good one. We've had it before. It's uh, Coburn's, wasn't it? Special oh, reserve. Oh, that could be the one I got last year. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, there's a few quid off it at the minute. It's that's uh, about it. That's eight, it. Eight, eight quid in. Eight quid in Asda and uh, booths, if you've got a booths near you. It's a decent-sized bottle as well, isn't it? Yeah, full-sized bottle. I mean, it's £16 in booths, so that's half price at eight quid, which yeah, yeah. Can't, be, can't be sniffed at. 
but that's nice, right. you know. It's like sweet, but without being sickly. And you get some, you get some proper tangy cheese on the go. You, you you're gonna have a good time with it's that. It's rich, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's you know, it's your long all day sipping drink is your, your red wine. But when the cheese comes out, you get the pot out. Oh, I can't. I can't cope with red wine. I had a bottle a few months ago, and it's the first time I drank a lot of it for ages. But it's just, you know, I don't know. It's a psychological thing with just seeing the word sulfites on the side and just thinking, is this going to give me a really bad headache, you know? And, I, you know, I don't enjoy it enough, I think, to keep keep on drinking. It's all right for a one-off. You, but can, prob- I can, you can probably get it without sulfites if you pay for organic or whatever. Yeah, like an organic one. You'll have to do a test, get a bottle um, over Christmas, try and find an organic one that hasn't got any sulfates in, see if it gives you a headache. Did you get any snowballs? Yes. Well, I may have been making my own. Oh, you with the Avocar? The Avocar's on offer a few places at the minute. I saw it in Morrison's for quite cheap, about eight eight quid in Morrison's the other day. I think yeah, I got that's mine, pretty good. Got mine from B&M and it was about 11. I paid so 11 I, for mine in booths. So I've been drinking it neat. And then I looked up the spirit in it, and it's brandy, which was a bit of a surprise. So I was drinking it. Yeah. That's a strong spirit. And to boost it up to 17%, it's got to be. Yeah. And I was thinking, is that vodka? What's that? I can taste in it. But it's actually mixed with brandy. Um, And it's actually, like, if you look at the blurb, they don't put this on the bottle, but they actually class it as an egg liqueur. (laughs) But I don't think it's so. You know, like if they put it next to Baileys, like salt caramel Baileys or something. And yeah. oh, what should we get for Christmas? Should we get this loveliness or should we get an egg liqueur? You know, you can have it for breakfast, couldn't you? Technically, it's an omelette. Because I think a lot of people buy Advocar and not really put too much thought about the fact that it's got eggs in. Because, yeah. you know, it's not... Eggs aren't something you associate with a nice alcoholic drink, are they, you know? No, no, they do it in cocktails, don't they? They use egg white in sours and stuff like that, but... Oh, okay. Have you just been having it straight, or have you been mixing it with anything? Uh, both. Been, I've, I've had a few straight, and I've had... It's strange how it completely changes the drink if you make it into a snowball and mix it with lemonade. Yeah. It, like, it really... Like, when you have it neat, it tastes like an alcoholic drink. When you put a little bit of lemonade in, it's suddenly, like, fun time. little party, Ooh. isn't it? Yeah. I've got a cocktail. This is a custody treat. It's a custody treat, this cocktail I've come up with. Um, I'm claiming it, but I've not had a look to see if other people have done it. To be honest, they probably have. I doubt. Uh, and it's, it's rhubarb and custard. And you basically get a tall glass, stick some ice in it, um, and put one part of vodka two parts of Advocat, and then top it up with, uh, what did I say it was called, that uh, Corsten's Rhubarb Soda. Right. So and the rhubarb, the rhubarb soda's not alcoholic, it's just no, like No, no, it's, it's just pop, but it's dear pop. But again, they've got it on offer in Astra at the minute. What made you beef it up with a, a shot of vodka in as well? Well, I think the proper snowball recipe has got an extra shot of something in. If you look up the What's cocktail. It? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's just... Um, Advocat and lemonade. I think there's a shot in there as well of either brandy right. or vodka. And you're supposed to have a glass of cherry in there as well, aren't you? But I did see that. You, is it a bit of lime juice you mix in it as well? Um, don't know. It could be lime or lemon juice. Yeah, but you'd like you're worried that it would, you know, curdle the the custody loveliness, wouldn't you? Well, I worried about that, but um, no, it's absolutely brilliant. This drink. It ch- tastes exactly like a mixture between, you know, the kind of slightly unnatural rhubarb and custard sweets and you know an actual rhubarb crumble with custard or something like that it's proper good i'm telling you i've got to have to try it 
It's it's superb. This this Corsten's Corsten's press. Yeah, because you'd want to know what a rhubarb pop tastes like anyway, wouldn't you? Do you know what oh, I mean? that's great. I got I got two boxes of it, so there's there's potentially four to just in, enjoy on its own and four to make cocktails and, with. You know, if anyone visits you at Christmas, there's an impressive drink to give someone, isn't it? Here, drink this. This is a cocktail I've invented. <laughs> Go on, keep drinking it. Keep drinking it. You gotta have a pint of it to really get going. What's your Christmas um, beer to have in the house of choice? Anything that's on offer, really. Don't usually sort of bulk buy anything. Just Do you remember when you're about nineteen or twenty, and Christmas used to come around, and all the lads you used to go on a big fucking jolly up the Asda, and just come back with about eight or ten twenty-four packs of Stella. <laughs> you know, the the more you got in your trolley, it was like a like a status symbol wasn't it yeah. have you been to get your christmas beer yet yeah i've yeah. got fucking 600 cans of uh super under the stairs it's the thing with the time of year as well like you know i don't really drink much like much lager or beer anyway but i can't think of anything worse than drinking like cold cans what in winter yeah i know like you have guinness cold but guinness feels more like a winter appropriate yeah drink, it? yeah yeah I've got a mate in Australia that drinks stouts during the winter and then he moves on to Japanese lager in the summer. He's quite... Nice. Lighter, like, almost like the sushi of beers. Yeah. I think because you left some Guinness down here, so I've been making my way through them as well. Oh, yeah. I like... well, it can't, be, can't have been many. But it's a nice... Make sure, make sure it's none of the cans I used as a toilet. <laughs> yeah. There was one that was a bit fruity. What about yourself? Probably just loads of Guinness. Guinness, the odd, you know... Port when the cheese comes out, sherry for breakfast, um, and perhaps a rhubarb and, cu- and custard cocktail in the evening. Yeah, you may, don't you? You've got a little bit of a drinks collection anyway, haven't you? If you've leftovers from on your drinks, you got a little trolley. You yeah, we've got a drink. We've got loads of stuff on the trolley. Um, there must be fifty, probably about fifty bottles of spirits on our. Oh wow! You know, even if you started at one end and tried to work your way right through it'd probably still take you a fortnight i went when i went to... <laughs> super right well i, th- I think we're probably I about thought you done. Were still, i thought you were still talking about drinks for christmas super, <laughs> super <laughs> it is. In. right on on that note sound right have a good christmas and you have a great one yeah love to the family and uh, i'll speak to you soon Sound. See you later. See ya. Bye bye.